It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is time for Chronicles of Nania with the man that this show is named for. He's the resident stat geek and co-founder over at JetsXFactor.com, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, I guess something has happened that was big news since last time we spoke. Oh, yeah, there's this slight, slightly important story. There was some guy who was hired by some company in New Jersey to coach some football players. Uh, I forget his name. It, it was a pretty big story, though. I think his first name is Robert or his last name is Roberts or something. Something with the word Robert, right? Something like that. <laughs> so Robert Sala hired as the new head coach of the New York Jets. And so Michael and I will break down a lot of the analytics-based stuff involving what he's done during the time that he's been the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to dive in with a lot of things over the next couple of weeks and really give you as full a picture as we can of what the Jets are getting with Robert Sala. We've already started to dig in with guys from San Francisco who've shared their observations. Javi Vega from the 4th and Gold podcast. Joe Castellano, the sports virus from 49ers Extra. You've also heard Daryl Slater come on and talk about the background that Robert Sala has, an incredible story. Here's a guy whose grandfather came here with no money from Lebanon and couldn't even read. And now two generations later, his grandson is a head coach in the NFL. But let's dig in here, Michael, on some of the nerdy numbers material. All-time great against the passing game in 2019. Now, in fairness, people will point out that he had phenomenal personnel, and he did, but still, there's something to be said for what that 49ers defense did in 2019. Yeah, it's that 2019 season where Salah really rose to prominence as one of the hot coordinators in the league, and it all started with what they did in the passing game. They were great overall. They were second in DVOA defensively, but in the passing game, they were Fantastic. One of the best passing defenses ever. They only allowed 169.2 passing yards per game. That led the league. It was 65.8 yards below the league average that season. That's the best margin by any defense in the 21st century. So the past 20 seasons, um, or 21 seasons. So they were really good stopping the pass. It was both the pass rush and the secondary. They deflected. 14.5% of opposing pass attempts or had a pass breakup on 14.5%. That was second best in the league behind only the Patriots that year who were another historically dominant defense. And then it was all three levels of the defense and coverage. Tight ends, second fewest or fewest receiving yards allowed to tight ends, second fewest to running backs, fourth fewest to wide receivers. So there were no weaknesses 
in coverage. So across the board, it was a very good passing defense. The run, run defense was still very good there, but it was what they were doing, the combination of the coverage, what Sal was able to do, um, getting those guys in good positions to make plays, and up front with the pass rush to have a really good passing defense. In 2020, he didn't quite have the same personnel because his best player on defense, DeForest Buckner, was traded to the Colts, and then guys started dropping like flies. Bosa, D. Ford, out. Solomon Thomas, out. Richard Sherman, out for a significant period of time. The list goes on and on. So he had a much tougher task in 2020, and a lot of people thought, all right, let's see what Robert Sala's made of now, and boy, did he show them. Oh, yeah, the, the 2020 season... Uh, at least in how it pertains to Salah and his resume, is probably more impressive than 2019, even though they had record-setting numbers, top two in the league, and all these different categories. 2020 is probably more impressive, considering what they went through. You had Nick Bosa, D. Ford, Solomon Thomas, Richard Sherman, those four guys combined to play 10 games. They lost to Forrest Buckner to the Colts, traded him over there for Javon Kinlaw, obviously. Um, so they lose all that talent, crucial starters on their team, uh, they only had three defensive players playing all 16 games, only four in at least 15 games. Uh, and of their top 15 most used defensive players in 2019, seven of them were top 15 in 2020. So less than half of your top 15 players, not there anymore. And yet Salah still had them at sixth in DVOA. So he did an incredible job managing the talent. This season is what sort of validated the 2019 season because obviously they had talent that year. You had Bosa, you had Buckner, you had Armstead, Sherman, a lot of talent there. And he played to that. He let the four-man rush go to work. There wasn't a lot of exotic blitzing. He let the pass rush do its thing so he could play, move chess pieces around in coverage. But 2020 comes along, and you don't have that pass rush. And their pass rush really was one of the weaker ones in the league in terms of pressures. Kerry uh, Hyder had a really good season, who's a free agent, former Jets, uh, was on the Jets as an undrafted free agent in 2014. He had a breakout season, but other than him, the pass rush was really not there in terms of just the individual production. But Salas still did enough to get this team up to an elite level without all those key pieces from the defense a year ago. So... This season really it really validated who he is as a coordinator, how he can adapt and get the most out of his talent. Speaking of Kerry Hyder, who you just mentioned, and who is a free agent, and who was at one time a member of the Jets' practice squad, Robert Sala did an incredible job with him. I've talked about this before, but in the offseason, he talked up Kerry Hyder nonstop, said that Hyder was going to have a huge year, and Hyder went out there and did have a huge year and made Robert Sala look really, really good. He was a big part of why that 49ers defense was able to be so effective despite all the injuries. One thing that Robert Sala has been excellent at is taking veterans who either haven't lived up to their full potential or were once good and have fallen off a little bit and gotten them back on track to where they need to be. Yeah, and and obviously this isn't the primary thing that I think fans want out of coaches. It's developing young talent, which we will talk about, which he also did a great job with. But it's also good to be able to get the most out of your veterans because you're going to have to plug holes with veterans in certain spots. So you want to be able to maximize them. And Salah did a good job of that in San Francisco. You mentioned Hyder, 29 years old in 2020, but he set career highs in pressures, pressure rate, total stops, overall pro football focus grade, all those categories. Richard Sherman's a good one. He came to the Niners at 30 years old, which is usually where cornerbacks hit the wall if they haven't already. 
Um, and he struggled a little bit in 2018. He had his worst season that year, career high in yards per target. But since then, he's gotten back on track and continued to be really good. In 2019, gave up the fewest yards per cover snap among cornerbacks. 2020, second fewest, uh, even though he only played five games. But last two seasons, he's been as good as anyone in the league in terms of his coverage numbers. So Sherman has had a good season under him. Jason Verrett in 2020 is a great one. Former first round pick showed elite talent with the chargers. Um, and obviously he had a ton of injuries, barely played over a few years span, only 13 games, uh, only played a few, six games from 2016 to 19, four year span, finally got healthy at 29 in 2020. And he was really good. He was 10th best among cornerbacks in yards per cover snap allowed. Uh, so there are a lot of good examples of veteran players who were able to get the most out of what they had left under Salah. And as you said, Michael, he did more than just help veterans reach their full potential or get back to where they had been before they fell off. He did a fantastic job of developing young talent. Fred Warner, picked in the third round in 2018 out of BYU, turned into a really useful player in 2020. In fact, he looked like he was on the verge of becoming a superstar. There was Dre Greenlaw, Jimmy Ward, a whole bunch of players that the 49ers picked, not just in the first or second round, but later on that Robert Sala was able to work with and turn into really important pieces in the 49ers defense. Yeah, and I think it really starts with the linebackers because he's a former linebackers coach himself. That's the position he had in Jacksonville before he came to San Francisco, and that's where you saw a couple of the best examples. You mentioned Fred Warner. He was PFF's top-ranked linebacker in 2020. His coverage is fantastic. He's probably the best. I mean, overall is debatable, but coverage linebacker, He's he might have the best case in terms of being the best coverage linebacker in the league. And that is essential for the defense he's playing there, really relying on those linebackers and coverage. Uh, So Salah did a great job with him. Dre Greenlaw, fifth-round pick in 2019. He had really no time to just ease into the league. He's been thrown right into the fire. Super Bowl season last year, he was a starter throughout the latter portion of the regular season and into the playoffs starting this year. He's played almost 1,600 defensive snaps already, and he's been very solid, especially in coverage. And, you know, that's where you would expect rookies to struggle in coverage, recognizing concepts. Um, that would be where you would expect rookies to struggle. We've seen numerous young linebackers struggle with that with the Jets, but Greenlaw, only 6.1 tar- yards per target allowed, only two touchdowns given up in his career so far. So he's come right in. And been very good. And there are a lot of other examples. Jimmy Ward, uh, Jaquiski Tart, DeForest Buckner. Uh, I mean, Buckner was, you know, obviously a top 10 or one of the top picks in the 2016 first round. So he's obviously expected to do a lot. But after having a really promising rookie season in 2016, Salah comes in in 2017. And since then, he's been elite on a consistent basis, building off of what he established as a rookie. You go look at Nick Bosa. Again, number two pick, you expect him to be great, but still, he did come right in and was an instant superstar in 2019. And we've seen across the league, as talented as guys may look coming in, no one's a guarantee at any spot. But the Niners' top picks came in and delivered under Salah. And you have numerous other late-round guys who developed into very good starters. I mean, Warner and Greenlaw are probably one of the best linebacker duos in the league, and neither of those guys were taken in 
even the first or second round. Uh, Warner being a third rounder and Greenlaw fifth. So uh, the young talent track record for Salah is uh, is very good. And that's one of the top things you look at the head coach. So it's excellent to see that. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about some of the young talent that Robert Sala will be working with here with the New York Jets. And we'll start with a guy that was extremely disappointing in 2020, and that's Jabari Zuniga, the rookie edge rusher out of Florida, third-round pick. Gave the Jets basically nothing this past season. You have to imagine that Robert Sala is going to look at him and try and get out of him what Joe Douglas thought he had on tape when he drafted him out of the University of Florida with the 79th overall pick. If he can take Jabari Zuniga and turn him into at least a solid rotational piece, that would be a huge step up from what we saw in 2020. Right, and, and Zuniga is interesting because he's he projects well in this scheme. He is a 4-3 defensive end, 5-technique type of player. That's his game, so he should have a good chance to find a role in this defense, and it would be massive for the Jets if he could develop into that, you know, get that internal development to fill that hole, although they probably will be making big moves. Whatever you can get from him is huge, but like you said, there there's nowhere to go but up for Zuniga. Only one pressure over 64 pass rush snaps, one run stop over 38 run defense snaps. So, Look, that's not a lot of playing time. That's barely over 100 snaps. He only played about 13 snaps a game. But uh, even in that sample, you should be producing a lot more than that. So, you know, even on a per snap basis, it's really bad. So the the sample size is small, of course. So he has a long way to go. But uh, at least in terms of his rookie season, he was probably of of the rookies who did play in Douglas's rookie class. Zuniga's the only one who showed you absolutely nothing. So he does have a long way to go. And there are other players on the defense that I'm sure Salah will have a hand in working with now that he's the head coach here with the New York Jets. And one of those guys is Ashton Davis. Now, he showed you a lot more than Jabari Zuniga did, but he still was a bit of a mixed bag. Some flashes showed you versatility, but didn't quite put it all together in his rookie season. He's a guy you'd like to see blossom under Robert Salah in year number two. Yeah, the versatility is the main appeal with Davis. I, there, there's no single position he played over half his snaps. 44% at free safety, 21 at strong safety, 19 outside linebacker, 12 slot corner, even 4% at outside corner. So that's tremendous. You love a guy who can play all those roles, but you also have to be able to play them well. I mean, you or me could go out there and line up at those positions, but you actually have to be able to play them well. And, and that's not to say Davis was terrible, but... He had he had his flashes as a rookie, but overall the production definitely a lot to be uh, desired. Has plenty of improving to do before he can be a true asset. No matter how many roles he can play, uh, he gave up the fifth highest passer rating and the fourth most yards per cover snap among safeties uh, to play at least 150 cover snaps. So struggled in coverage. Um, you can give him some credit. He didn't commit any penalties in coverage, so that's nice at least. But as a blitzer, too, he can improve with all that speed. He should be an elite blitzing uh, de- defensive back, but only eight pressures over 49 passer snaps. 16.3% pressure rate positional average is 18.8%, so he's a little bit below that, and I think he can be much higher than that positional average. So a lot of room to improve for Ashton Davis, but I think you do have to like the versatility that he showed, and, and you expect a rookie playing so many different roles to struggle, but I definitely like that, you know, even if he's not a starter for you, he 
the way he can play all these different positions means he can fit in pretty much any defense. There should always be a role for him that he can uh, contribute in. So uh, that's definitely promising with him. Michael, funny enough, the best player on the Jets defense that was drafted in the 2020 draft was the guy that was drafted last of the defensive picks, and that's Bryce Hall, the corner from Virginia, picked in the fifth round. He didn't come off of IR until late in the season, but when he did, he played very, very well, had his ups and downs as any rookie corner would, but showed you a lot for a guy who was coming off a major injury and was picked in the fifth round. He looks like he could be a keeper, and I'm very curious to see if Robert Sala is able to help build him into a long-term number two corner. Yeah, Bryce Hall had a very promising rookie season. I think the first few games, he he definitely looked the part. He was he was tight in coverage much of the time, looked fundamentally sound. But he's playing great players like Keenan Allen, Devontae Parker, Darren Waller, DK Metcalf. So he was giving up production. The numbers weren't really there, even though he passed the eye test. But the last few games, then the numbers started to match up with how he was playing. Uh, so over his first four starts, Hall gave up 12 first downs and two touchdowns, plus four penalties, over 31 targets. So that's an average of one conversion every 10.8 cover snaps um, over that span. And then his last three games, he only gave up three first downs, no touchdowns, and no penalties, an average of 46 cover snaps uh, per conversion allowed. So over four times higher than the previous four starts in terms of how frequently he was giving up first down or touched uh, first down conversions or touchdowns. So, uh, those last three games, he was covering very, very well, or at least had the numbers to back up how well he was covering sort of, you know, over those few games prior, but the production wasn't there because he was playing great players who were making great catches against him. But the last three games, he really fulfilled his role really well. There were not a lot of targets in his direction. And when they did come his way, they tended to be unproductive. So very promising finish for Bryce Hall. Michael, we talked about all the defensive draft picks, so let's talk a little about the offensive draft picks. And we'll start with the offensive player that was picked the latest of the bunch. Now, we're not going to talk about Cameron Clark or James Morgan because those guys didn't play. We're only talking about the guys that played, and so we have something to go off of when they go into the 2021 season. So we will begin with LaMichael Pirine. Really wasn't impressed by him much. He didn't seem to have a lot of burst. He didn't do anything out of the ordinary. He was just a guy, as they say. The question is going to be whether or not Mike LaFleur can get a little more than that out of him in 2021. Although I do expect that both Ty Johnson and Josh Adams will get more chances in training camp and the preseason than they have in previous years. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets draft a running back at some point during the 2021 draft. Yeah, the Michael Pirine, definitely not a very impressive season for him. And look, when you draft a running back, even in the fourth round, I think you expect sort of instant production out of them. It's not really a position that tends to have much of a development curve. It's usually peaking at the beginning and going straight down from there on out. And, and Pirine got his opportunities, really had a chance to seize the starting job, but couldn't really do it because he just wasn't that impressive. Only 3.6 yards per carry. And then Ty Johnson and Josh Adams coming off the street and blow that out of the water. 4.7 for Johnson, 5.4 for Adams. So uh, it, it wasn't impressive, definitely, to see P. Ryan outperformed by those two guys. Um, the one thing you can say for P. Ryan, and it's a small sample, but he did convert 9 of 10 rushes with one yard to go or, or inches to go. 90%, that's excellent. The league average is 
but that's about it. On the whole, the production, he, he wasn't good. At, he just didn't create much for himself. He was 59th out of 76 running backs in yards after contact per carry, 65th in broken tackles per carry. And overall, PFF had his rushing grade at fourth worst among running backs. Uh, so there isn't much to like in terms of what he showed as rusher. His vision was spotty. He couldn't break tackles. There wasn't much burst. Um, and I think the appeal with Pirine was his all-around game. The, he didn't drop a lot of passes. He was useful as a receiver, good pass blocker uh, with the Gators. But even those areas, he sort of struggled. We did see some issues in pass protection. We did see some drops. And there wasn't a ton of receiving production to look at either. He did not produce much as a receiver. And throughout this entire season, uh, all he produced was 11 catches for 63 yards. So I don't think he, he definitely didn't live up to what I think the Jets thought they were getting. And look, he's a fourth round pick. So um, you're not going to most of these picks, most of the picks in that spot of the draft, you're not going to hit on anyway. But, you know, we'll see what happens if this LaFour offense can get the most out of him it's you know a very heavy outside zone scheme it's about vision picking your holes uh he obviously i don't think is the fastest guy in the world you know like a matt Breida or raheem mostert but uh maybe this is the scheme that can you know get the most out of him but even his vision definitely was uh, spotty this year but uh from a numbers perspective you definitely look at uh with p ryan the overall production isn't good and it's sort of backed up by the fact that his after contact production wasn't good either a more promising rookie was Denzel Mims. Now, he missed a lot of time due to injury. First six games, he was on IR. But when he did play, he showed a lot of flashes, especially early on. Didn't get a ton of targets down the stretch. But you saw a lot to like and a lot to build on. You have to hope that in this Shanahan offense, he's somebody that takes a step forward in 2020. Yeah, the big thing with Mims, I think, is just when he did get opportunities, you saw big plays, 15 and a half. Yards per reception, that was 18th among the 116 wide receivers with at least 20 catches, 21st in air yards per reception. So that really projects who he could be, a big-time downfield threat. Obviously, he has to get more targets per game. Only had 4.9 in 2020, which you know, if, if he's going to be a big-time player, you need to maybe double that number. Uh, and part of that is his own fault. He's got to be better as a route runner. Joe Blewett has talked a lot about that. Some of it's not his fault. Adam Gase is just not a good play caller who's consistently out-schemed, and there wasn't much the receivers could do about it. Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco, more so Darnold uh, in terms of Mims, did miss uh, Mims quite frequently when he was open. So there are a lot of factors, but um, I think you can be excited about how explosive he was down the field. And and he made the most of the tar- – obviously, he didn't catch everything, especially down the stretch. There were a few plays where – he got beat at the catch point in that Cleveland game in particular. But for the most part, when he did get good opportunities down the field, uh, because his catch rate wasn't that high, he definitely didn't catch a very high percentage of his targets because most of them were downfield. Only 52.3% catch rate, 23 catches on 40, uh, 44 targets. Uh, some of those were throwaways, but he didn't catch everything. But for the most part, he his opportunities were very difficult, often contested balls down the field. And he pulled in a good percentage of them, made a, a lot of plays that you know weren't schemed up or anything, but were created by his own ability to high point the ball, make a contested catch, and that's what they drafted him for. So it was you, you didn't see a ton high volume of Mims production, 
uh, again, for a variety of factors, some his own fault, some not. But when you did see Mims make plays, they tended to be really impressive, and that's the exciting thing. Even more exciting than Denzel Mims, though, was Mackay Becton. Now, an offensive lineman doesn't typically get you revved up. You get revved up by the skill position players, but Becton was making special plays. He was shoving guys off the screen. He was dumping guys on their backs. This is somebody that, if he stays healthy, has the opportunity to be an elite player in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Mackay Becton definitely was the the crown jewel of this season, I think, for the Jets. Well, competing with Quinn and Williams. Let's give him some love as well. But Becton definitely is the most important player in this draft class. He was the first-round pick at the biggest position of need, I think, going into this season for the Jets. And, and he really delivered. He's not a superstar yet. He does have work to do. But he's already very good. And with just very simple tweaks to his game, he should be there. He's 21-year-old rookie, so to set the floor that he did, uh, puts him in a really good position going forward. But what was most impressive to me was I think I expected him to struggle in pass protection as a rookie and just gradually improve as his career went on. Not that he couldn't be great eventually, but I definitely thought he would struggle as a rookie. While the run blocking seemed like a good bet to translate, it seemed like he would take his time as a pass blocker. But that wasn't the case. He came right in and was very good. In both phases, PFF gave him a 76.0 pass blocking grade, 73.8 run blocking. Uh, Tristan Wirfs was the only other rookie tackle with a 76 plus and 73 plus in those two categories, respectively. And Wirfs played right tackle for the Bucks. The last time a rookie left tackle uh, eclipsed both those numbers was Deion Dawkins for the Bills in 2017. So um, it, it was great to see him show those flashes in both phases, not just run blocking, but pass protection as well. He showed that. And look, that's the more important phase. Run blocking is great, but this is a passing league. You got to be able to pass block. There are a lot more passing plays than run plays. Um, So it's definitely the premier skill. Run blocking, again, is extremely important, but if you'd rather have one or the other, you'd like pass blocking, but he was great in both. So that's what's really promising. Um, and then to look at some of the flashes he showed on a per-game basis, he had eight out of his 14 games where he allowed one or zero pressures, and half of his 14 games, seven of 14, he had a run blocking grade over 70, which usually ranks top 10 among left tackles in a given week. So seven games where he went over 70 on his run blocking grade. So a lot of flashes in both phases for Becton. You said, Michael, that Makai Becton was the crown jewel of the 2020 Jets season. And then you corrected yourself and said that it's him and Quinn and Williams. And quite frankly, I'm a little surprised at your disrespect for the guy who was the true crown jewel of the 2020 Jets season and the crown jewel of the 2020 Jets draft class. And that, sir, is one Braden man. <laughs> oh, you have you have to give the Braden man love and it's a crime if you ignore him. So I probably won't be appearing on this podcast for a while while I serve my jail time for ignoring the man myth legend. But that's just the way it is. So I will accept my punishment. But Braden man, let's talk about him. I think we have to be honest a little bit. He does have to improve. The production wasn't exactly there yet. Only 37 net yards per punt. That was second worst in the league, although most, I do think a big part of that, or much more so the man himself, was the coverage team, but he has some work to do. But with that being said, they're a big positive that I point out early in the season. I said 
He needs to improve his hang time. That's going to be the big key for him. If he can get that, he can be really good. And we did see improvement from him there. First seven weeks of the season, 23rd in hang time, 4.32 seconds. And then the last 10 weeks of the season, he upped his hang time to fifth best in the league at 4.46 seconds. So I think seeing that, you know, in spite of the net yardage, which again, is not just him, the coverage team as well has a major part of that. I mean, he's only one out of 11 guys on the field. And if he wasn't an amazing tackler, his net yards would be even worse. So it's not just him, that number, but the hang time, which he does have control over, uh, he improved that vastly in the second half of the season. So that's really promising for him. Um, He showed a lot of great skills, whether it's being able to pin the ball against the sideline, hang time, like we talked about, we know about his distance. He has the skills. So I expect a breakout season for him next year. Braden Mann was one of the more interesting stories of the 2020 season, not just because of his punting, but because of several great tackles that he made, including one that helped preserve that a lot of Jets fans wish he hadn't have helped preserve the victory against the Rams, which ended up being sort of irrelevant because they won against the Browns the following week anyway, so it doesn't matter. But the point is, at the time, a lot of people upset with Braden Mann. I'm hoping that that frustration that they had with Braden Mann helping the Jets win that game gets transferred over to even more respect and admiration for Braden Mann as he continues his journey towards becoming one of the best punters in the NFL and maybe the very best tackling punter of all time. We'll see if he can top Pat McAfee on that one. Michael Nania giving us all the great nerdy numbers, courtesy of his work over at JetsXFactor.com, where he is the co-founder. As always, thank you for joining me on The Chronicles. Really appreciate it. You've still got tons of material going up every single day over at Jets X Factor, even though the coaching search is over and even though the season is over, which is exactly what we're doing here at Play Like a Jet. So that's why you and I get along so well, because we're both certified maniacs. Make sure that you're following Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania and reading his work over at JetsXFactor.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.